0: Hello and welcome to Write Up Your Algae, a wildlife biology, ecology, and environmental science podcast. My name's Emily. And I'm Clara. Just right quick before we get started, I think as we're recording this, I think we hit 100 listeners. Oh, yeah. And I just wanted to extend a big thank you to all of our friends, family, and other listeners who are supporting the podcast, despite maybe sometimes less than great audio quality. We're working on improving it. It means a lot, and if you would like to go the extra mile to support us, giving us a review on whatever platform you use to listen helps us a lot. Anyways, let's get right into it. Clara, do you know what the windshield phenomenon is? The windshield? The windshield. Like, like windshield of a car. Oh, No, I do not. So the windshield phenomenon is the idea that after a long drive, people do not need to clean their windshields like they used to. People remember road trips 10, 20, 30 years ago as having their windshields littered with bugs after long drives and needing to clean them pretty often. Some have argued the aerodynamics of cars are the reason for this, but entomologist Martin Sorg had a well-humored response to this hypothesis, saying, I drive a Land Rover with the aerodynamics of a refrigerator, and these days it stays clean. This phenomenon, I think, is a great way to display the severity of our ecological collapse that we are currently enduring to people that can remember the days of high insect populations. Because when you point out this phenomenon, they get it. They've seen it. Scott Black, the executive director of the Zeres Society for Invertebrate Conservation in Portland, Oregon, said something that I think explains this feeling well. I'm a very data-driven person but it's a visceral reaction when you realize that you don't see the mess anymore. While this is obviously anecdotal, there have been some studies confirming this. In Denmark, a study by Anders Papenjöller, published in 2019, used over 1,300 surveys of insects killed on windshield between 1997 and 2017 and found a reduction between 80 and 97%. That is very significant. It's very significant. So we're going to get into a couple of terms that some listeners may be unfamiliar with. So, you can measure the amount of an organism by either abundance, which is the number of individuals, or by the biomass, which is the total weight of the organisms. While much of conservation efforts focus on large mammals, the bulk of animal life, measured by either biomass or abundance, consists of invertebrates, such as insects. The studies I've referred to and will be referring to typically use biomass rather than abundance. This is due to the nature of the subjects of the study because they're just so small. They're insects. So in, in, in the Danish study that I just mentioned, it's a reduction of weight between 80 and 97%.
1: That's a very interesting point that you brought up, because what I'm seeing more of these days is generally like mosquitoes. So they have a much smaller biomass than probably some of the more native species of insects in this area. Does that have any influence on it?
0: I don't really get into how like, I guess, fluctuations in different species would would impact differences in biomass. I suppose I guess what you might be getting at is like a decrease in like a more sturdy bug like a beetle, but increase in, you know, kind of, I guess, more spindly bugs like a um, like a mosquito would kind of skew things. So I'm not really sure. I haven't really gotten into that. I suppose if I had looked more into maybe like biodiversity studies, they might look into that. But m- most of what I'm going to get into is like population studies. Okay. So are there really that many less bugs than there used to be? Lister and Garcia published a landmark data set in 2018, in which they sampled arthropod and spider abundance using sweep nets and sticky traps within Laquito rainforest in Puerto Rico. They performed trials in 1976 and 1977, and then went back to repeat the trials 35 years later, in 2011 and in 2013. It was found that insects and spiders and sweep nets had fallen between 75 and 88%, depending on the time of the year, and sticky trap sample catches had fallen 97 to 98%. I'll include some of their graphs on our Instagram page. There's, there's one article by David Goulson that I got a lot of this information from, and he talks a bit about biomass, kind of, I guess, unrelated to insects, and um, he mentions a statistic that has not really left my mind, and it's kind of unrelated to the episode, but I did want to bring it up just because it's, it's really kind of shook me a bit in how I view the world. If I were to ask you what percentage of the world's mammalian biomass is from wild mammals, what would, what would you guess that that, this isn't a part of our quiz, this isn't to test your knowledge, this is just what you think I would think probably less than twenty percent. <laughs> it's four percent. Yeah, four percent of our of our mammalian biomass is from wild mammals.
1: That does make a lot of sense to me, and I know that sounds kind of dreary, but when you think about it,
0: think of how much agriculture and livestock comprises sixty and... percent. Yeah, that's what I thought, and probably the other forty percent is humans or zoo animals. So yeah, thirty six percent is is humans. Yeah. That, that just, just that just boggled me. That, that just, just zoo animals. I I don't know what zoo animals would be classified <laughs> under. I'm I'm not sure.
1: But only 4% honestly. We can do better than
0: that, guys. Just I just can't. I it just has been so difficult to wrap my head around that all all of the world's whales, elephants, shrews, like everything has is less than 4% compared to what's largely, you know, cattle or pork or, and domestic poultry makes up 70% of avian biomass. Great fun. Sorry, these are these are some kind of sad facts. I just, I think it's the land use that I can't wrap my head around. I can. I,
1: I can very much wrap my head around it because that's something that we constantly talk about in my program is the amount of, of land use used by agriculture. And that's something that I've had a lot of time to think about. It's very, very depressing. And it, you have to understand it from a lot of different points of view as well. So there's cultural aspects of why we lose a certain amount of land mass. There's political aspects of why we lose our land mass. There's climate change reasons. There's erosion. There's, I don't know, if you remove trees from like slopes and stuff like that. So think of deforestation. Every time you cut down a forest, you're going to lose a lot of that land due to uh, natural processes like erosion or you're going to lose a lot of that land to erosion and just sometimes desertification, desertification, where basically you have a drying up of the soil. But it's also important to realize that a lot, probably not a lot, but a good amount of it, is people who are trying to make a living. And I think we also need to take that into consideration when we talk about these environmental issues. Mm-hmm. And I know sometimes we make jokes and whatever, like just stop doing what you're doing or whatever and, mm-hmm. and save the planet. But You have to think about it realistically because there's people who need these resources to thrive in their environment and to to survive really, make a living for themselves and their family and support those around them. And I think we put a lot of blame on them, but we should be looking at these rich countries that are just absolutely decimating the planet and building these Huge ass homes that we just really don't need. <laughs> I don't know, flying your plane around the world just for fun. Maybe going to space for eight minutes. <laughs> These are some controversial topics that I'm talking about right now, but this drives some listeners away right off the bat. Well, you know, and I think it's important to realize like where I'm coming from from that mm-hmm. as well. Like, I I'm not perfect, and obviously I have issues with my carbon emissions, but I think we should be reducing them as much as we can. If there's not a purpose to what you're doing, maybe don't do it.
0: Yeah, I'll get into that a little bit more later on. So why is this happening? Well, of course, it's not a simple answer. There are many factors, such as habitat loss, fertilizers, and spread of non-native insect diseases, but it does seem, based on the articles that I read, that many scientists will attribute this Uh, mainly to chronic exposure to complex insecticides. In fact, 75% of honey samples collected worldwide have been found to contain neonicotinoids, which are highly potent neurotoxic insecticides. This is not to say that you shouldn't eat honey. The trace amounts are not necessarily harmful to us, but it just shows how prevalent these insecticides are, that three quarters of the world's honey contains a single variety of insecticide. Something interesting that was in a bunch of the articles mentioned this is... They sort of go into, there needs to be more research worldwide, because we need to know how how this decline in insect population is affecting different parts of the world. If up some parts of the world, this isn't happening to as severely. Some parts of the world, maybe it's happening more severely. What factors contribute to that? So a lot of these articles that I've been reading have commented on that there isn't enough worldwide, like wide-ranging information. And then they all mention, except for Germany. <laughs> I've had three or four articles that all say that Germany has, like, a large plethora of data on this. And uh, I just want to say good on Germany for putting a lot of great minds to this issue of insect decline.
1: And Germany is one of those,
0: like, countries that
1: are just really involved in scientific research. They come out with all these fantastic studies year after year after year. And it's, like, really heavy science in Germany, especially because... They're kind of landlocked, so they only have so many resources, and they have to understand a good way to sustain all those resources.
0: That's interesting. Yeah. So I'm sure nobody is asking this question who 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 cares enough about the environment that they listen to this podcast, but why should we care about bugs? <laughs> Honestly, what a great question,
1: because, you know, the other day I was in one of my classes, <laughs> and we were talking about earthworms, just earthworms, okay? And I came across a study done in 1998, and for the life of me, I can't remember, but I will find it and I will send it to you so you can include it in the episode description just so we can reference it. They said there's zero native earthworms in Nova Scotia, and all of them are invasive.
0: Yeah, I learned this in my animal bio class that I... I, I'm gonna have to double check on this because I don't know this for sure, and I'm just going off of my memory... That, that earthworms are just... I don't know if it's Canada or if it's just no, Nova it's, Scotia. No,
1: it's North America. And what happened is during the last glaciation period, um, it completely destroyed most of the native species of earthworms. And I think there's maybe eight native species of earthworms in the entirety of Canada. This is all attributed to the, the glaciation period 13,000 years ago. Shout out to the Wisconsin. <laughs> Anyways, and... All the earthworms have come over since the European colonization of North
0: America. So
1: that's super fascinating to me.
0: And it is crazy how prevalent they are. I mean, oh, like, yeah. I've been I've been collecting soil samples uh, last week. And so we were pretty much just digging a bunch of holes random around different orchards. And uh, not different orchards, two, two orchards. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, like, we had to pick them all out. Oh, my gosh, there's so many. It's either that or ants. Oh, yeah. Ants are bad. Lots of ants. Ants in the valley.
1: (laughs) I'm going to get into ants, actually.
0: (laughs) Oh, God. Just a little bit. I do have a bit of a bone to pick with ants.
1: Me too. Honestly, (laughs) they were crawling around in my apartment this summer. Oh, yeah. Up my dining room table. Like, man, chill out. Mm
0: -hmm. You do not
1: need to be doing that. I was so terrified. I cried and cried. They were all over my plants one morning when I woke up. How rude. The audacity. The (laughs) No, sorry, ants, so we're taking over your habitat. <laughs> well,
0: I guess we could end the episode here. This is a great thing. We don't want bugs. Um, yeah, screw it, it up. up. Keep it up. Yeah, <laughs> let's spray those pesticides. <laughs> if we all work together, we can get rid of the bugs. That's what we want, right? No. <laughs> what? And here's why. Insects occupy an important place in the world's ecosystems as primary and secondary decomposers. This means that they break down waste and make them bioavailable again. Bioavailability, in this context, means making matter available to be used for nutritional uptake by plants or other living things. Also, insects are incredibly important food sources for many reptiles, amphibians, birds, mammals, and, of course, other insects. Emily, I don't think you've made your case good enough to keep the (laughs) bugs. (laughs) They're just so gross, man.
1: Like, they're all creepy crawly, like, ugh. Bunch of (laughs) pests.
0: I'm kidding, obviously. (laughs) Bugs are very important to our ecosystems. As we got into a little bit earlier, discussing how individuals can contribute to solving this issue is not straightforward. For years, large-scale operations have been releasing harmful substances into the environment without adequate plans to address the consequences. While it's beneficial for environmentally conscious individuals to take action, the problem goes beyond personal efforts. That's not to say you should do nothing. Some great options are planting pollinator-friendly gardens using local flora, or opting for safer alternatives instead of using potentially harmful substances. To be honest, I've used pesticides myself. I had an unmanageable ant infestation during the spring-summer, and it actually came up again, like, the other night. They were all in my laundry room. They just won't leave me alone. And I did end up spraying the perimeter of my house a few times. However, such individual actions are not the primary cause of significant environmental declines. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, the key to making substantial progress in combating this issue lies in implementing new policies and securing funding for alternative approaches within the agricultural industry. It's essential to emphasize that this isn't an attempt to blame individuals or make life more challenging for those within the agricultural industry. Farmers are responsible for ensuring food on our tables. Therefore, if changes are to be made to benefit the industry's workers and the environment, there must be mechanisms in place to support farmers as they transition away from harmful practices. For instance, programs like the Pesticide Environmental Stewardship Program encourage the reduction of pesticide use through cash and technical incentives for farmers in the US to even out the potential yield loss. But other programs have arisen around the world that are quite similar, and that's just the program I mentioned because it was in a paper I used. Also, I did want to mention, although I will not go into it this episode, it's very well documented that pesticide use throughout the years and still today has adverse effects on agricultural workers in a variety of ways, including respiratory issues and cancer.
1: Yeah, and that's very true. Um, I don't know how many people know this, but at the center, we have to we have these return days that we're not allowed in the fields for, and that's based off of the toxicity of every chemical. So the return days can be like twelve days, you're not allowed to return, or four hours, or something like that. But even then, you're still leaving residue and, and everything like that so it is important to take into consideration the adverse effects that these toxic toxic
0: chemicals can have on the environment now that i've stepped off my soapbox <laughs> welcome to the quiz section of the episode feel free to play along at home what is the difference between a pesticide and an insecticide
1: pesticides are for every type of pest where insecticides are specifically targeted at insects
0: that is correct Pesticides are made to kill bacteria, plant diseases, fungi, and insects, whereas insecticides are made just to kill insects. Does insecta refer to a kingdom, phylum, class, order, or family? Why would you do this? Obviously, it's, I know it's not
1: a kingdom, okay? <laughs> because trust me, I've looked it up. Um, phyla. No. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> Give me one more guess.
0: Oh, family. No. Okay, class. Yes, it's class. <laughs> for bonus points or for, for a chance at redemption, can you name the kingdom in phylum? Kingdom? Eukarya? That's domain. That's domain. Uh, is it
1: like animalia or something?
0: Yep, yeah, kingdom animalia. And what was the thing you wanted me to other name? Phylum. The phylum. Oh,
1: Jesus. I have no idea. Yeah. Arthropoda. Emily, I don't know how you expect
0: me to know <laughs> these things, Okay. <laughs> Taxonomy is my weakest suit. (laughs) When did insects first arise? 120 million years ago? 1.2 billion years ago? 400 million years ago? Or 850 million years ago?
1: 850
0: million years ago. 400 million years ago. Damn it. I should have known that, you know. um, (laughs) But... I wouldn't have. Numbers all blend together for me. <laughs> it's late, okay?
1: And I didn't get a lot of sleep last night. This is why I'm struggling with the quiz. By late,
0: <laughs> she means we're recording this at 9 p.m. <laughs> it's been a long week, okay? <laughs> for our last and most important question. What is Emily's favorite bug? Okay, I have two options. Is it a moth? No. Beetle? No. No. Butterfly. No. What the hell, Emily? I'll give you a hint. It's a it's a mimic. It's a mimicking. A mimicking bug. It's not a cricket. It's not a cricket. No. What does a cricket mimic? Chirping. (laughs) It's a leaf bug, Clara. Oh (laughs) How am I expected to know that? I have a leaf bug. A dead leaf bug. But I have them framed in my kitchen. Well, I just see the butterflies, okay? Well, you also have a lot of butterflies, so. I have two. And butterfly earrings. And tattoo (laughs) okay. I gotta cut that out in case my grandmother listens.
1: Oh my god. Thank you for listening to this week's episode about insects. Fly by on the chance to join our Instagram page at Write Up Your Algae Podcast, all lowercase, all one word. And we hope this episode was right Write Up Your, up your Algae. algae. Slide. <laughs>